This is Career Competitor, and it is the podcast that believes we all have a competitive self that drives our optimal performance in our careers and within our lives. My name is Steve Meller, and in the past 15 years, having been a coach to high performers, Olympians, business owners, executives across all walks of life, I have come to find that competitiveness comes from within. And I'm going to be using this podcast to really showcase how competitors from all walks of life are finding optimal performance and have built the careers that they have today. On this episode of Career Competitor, I'm delighted to be welcoming in Henna Pryor, who I recently met in about the last five or six weeks, and we totally hit it off, and I had to welcome her onto the podcast, mainly as well because she has a book coming out, and we're going to dive into that and much more. But some of the key takeaways to be looking out for include why our environment dictates how we typically respond to it. Also, we talk about how awkwardness can be the very space that you need to be leaning into more. And finally, we talk about why stepping into growth means stepping into uncertainty. In order to learn more about Henna and the work that she does, head to prioritygroup.com. That's priority spelled P-R-Y, as in Henna Prior. And you can learn about her services, the book, Anything and everything you need to know. Some awesome links there as well to some of her TEDx work as well. But anyway, it's time to dive into it. It's time to get into the good stuff and welcome in Henna Pryor onto this episode of Career Competitor. And I hope you all enjoy. Hey, before we carry on with this episode, let me bring your attention to a link that you'll find right there in the show notes so that you can subscribe to my monthly email. It's just going to give you some awesome insights on who it is I am, what it is I've got going on, and maybe there'll be one or two food for thoughts in there that can stimulate your process, get you to get a little unstuck, get you to take a little bit more action, and maybe get you a little closer to optimal performance as you start to shape a stronger version of your optimal self. Go ahead, click that link in the show notes so you can become part of the ever-growing email list that's receiving this awesome insight each and every month, courtesy of me and courtesy of Career Competitor. Now, back to the episode. Okay, our career competitor today is a fellow advocate for ensuring you pursue your potential in your career and in life while helping you see that you can be both the driving force and the hindrance behind whether or not you get there. As the founder and CEO of Priority Group, our guest is two-time TEDx speaker, fellow executive coach, and highly sought-after workplace performance expert who is in the business of impossible changes. And speaking of equipping you to achieve your true potential, our guest has her first book coming out in a matter of days with the release of Good Awkward, How to Embrace the Embarrassing and Celebrate the Cringe to Become the Bravest You. This well-researched and well-designed call to embrace awkwardness is already receiving the awards and high praise that one would only expect from an author who's on a mission to see you skyrocket upward in your career. I am truly delighted to be welcoming into Career Competitor a woman I'm at the point of simply becoming a true fan of at this point, the wonderful Henna Pryor. Henna, how's it going? 
Oh my God. What an introduction. First of all, I, I have to give it to you. That was so well-researched, like the amount of little things you sprinkled in there. So kudos to you. And uh, yeah, the, the one thing you didn't share is we had a chance to meet this past summer for the first time in the flesh. And uh, I'm excited that it led to this opportunity. So I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. And I think for me, what I truly enjoyed about just simply doing some research on you and just getting to the really to the core of your mission and, and everything about you. And I got this sort of inner synergy between the two of us when we spoke, when we met a, a few weeks ago, but it came through in abundance. I'm like, we sing from the same <laughs> hymn sheet. We, I mean, we are very yeah. much carved from a very similar cloth. And with regards to that, the, the only place I had to start with you is here we are, the show's career competitor. Talk to me about Hannah, the competitor to begin with. Oh my gosh. Um, well, first things, I just want to rephrase what you said. I think what you're saying is we're destined to be besties, right? Is that is that where you're going? Well, okay. There's that too. There's that just too. Making, so just I, didn't wanna, sure. I didn't want to be too forward, but you, you went for it. Listen, she's gonna, all about awkwardness. It. Make it awkward. Let's, it. let's go. Okay. Um, <laughs> Hannah, the competitor. Oh boy. Uh, that is a phrase that I think I would not have necessarily identified with for a period of time only because I'm not an athlete, like often you hear of, you know, competitors. I have lots of friends who are, you know, high level athletes. One of my best girlfriends is a former U.S. women's soccer team player. One of my other best friends, Colin, is a, you know, two sport athlete in college. I was not an athlete. And so my competitive spirit was always academic, which sounds incredibly nerdy. But I grew up in a South Asian household where achievement felt very important. It felt like something that was a, a high value to my parents. So my competitor always looked like straight A's. It always looked like, you know, making the honors classes. And then it turned into getting into a great college and how much scholarship and what was my first job. So I do think I am a competitor. It's just a word that I didn't identify with until later in life, until I gave it a new coat. Mm, I love that. I love that. And, and, and again, my my, that is that was my wife. You know, my, my my wife is she is the straight A student. My daughter's already turning into her, which is going to make my my household very intimidating here over the years <laughs> to come. But that's another thing. Uh, the the one thing I hear though is that there's this almost cultural element to the way in which you were a competitor, and that it was almost laid out before you. This this is how we compete, as opposed to necessarily, hey, I'm going to go find how you know what maybe works for me because it seems as though the, the the later part of your life at this point is a lot more of what i was just alluding to there in the latter but the former it does sound as though that competitive arena if you will was very much being presented to you as opposed to you creating oh uh, that's 100 percent accurate and i think a, a lot of firstborn children of immigrant parents especially you know kind of from the asian subcontinent you know east asian south asian can identify with that story I, you know growing up it was, yeah, competitive within a specific boxing ring, right? Like not, I didn't really, right. couldn't really push against the ropes very much. It was originally, you know, doctor, lawyer, engineer, which one do you want from the menu? We're working towards that. And, you know, I feel very blessed and very grateful. My parents are amazing. And I think once they realized that I was intrinsically motivated enough to get after whatever it is I decided to do, they trusted me enough to give me the freedom to choose my own path. I was not, you know, forced to go into doctor or lawyer engineer. They gave me the agency to choose something different, but there is a prevailing narrative growing up, especially amongst first-generation immigrant children whose parents came from, you know, certain parts of the uh, the world rather 
they worked very hard to allow my sister and I to go to college. You know, they blood, sweat and tears to come to this country to give us this opportunity. There is this spirit of don't waste that. Right. And even as the firstborn child, that pressure of I can't squander that. They did all of this for me, for us, for my sister and I. And so competing for straight A's, competing to be the class president, competing to be, you know, the prom MC of the fashion show back then, all of it felt like competition that I wanted, but also kind of needed to do because that was the cultural narrative that I was playing with. Yeah. And I, gosh, I mean, I relate so much to this. I mean, I, there was so many chances for me just to stay within the lines in terms of my upbringing. And I was the guy who left the Northwest of England Mm -hmm. and came over to the US for school and then said, I don't need to go back. I'm going to keep it here. I'm going to build a life here. Mm -hmm. And and there's almost that sense, I, I don't know if you can relate to this, but there's almost that sense of like, it's on me now to sort of show up and finish this thing that I started oh, yeah. in a way. And I, I, I live in this world of it's like any day someone's going to knock on the door and just be like, hey, we're taking it all away. Yeah. It's all gone. Well, it's all gone. I know, I know you built it all, but we're going to we're gonna take it away. I don't know. what Do you yeah. want to any Oh, 100%. Or? Especially once I went rogue and decided not to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, right? right? There's, you know, there you there's part of you that worries, <laughs> you know, what if it doesn't work? What if it doesn't go the way you plan for it to? And then it's like a well, this is why I told you should have been a lawyer, right? Should have been an engineer. Um, there's, so there's a little bit of there's something to prove, right? And I, yeah. I sometimes worry, was that healthy, right? Is it a healthy way to live life is like having something to prove or seeking that approval? And it's funny, a lot of my current work is informed by that perspective and that narrative that I carried around for a long time. I don't bemoan it or begrudge it because I think it built a lot of character and work ethic that has carried me very, very far. But I did have to very intentionally and honestly, in the last decade, rewrite a lot of those old narratives because they definitely stopped serving me after a while. Yeah, I'm very seamlessly now we've we've arrived at really where you are now mm-hmm. today in terms of what it is, what it is you've got going on. And, you know, usually when someone comes on and we're discussing a book, I kind of leave it more to towards the end, but knowing what the book's about and knowing the work that you're doing around the book at the moment, and we're literally just a matter of days from it coming out as we release this episode. You know, for me, I actually think you going into the book a little bit here can actually serve us really well in terms of where we now go with the remainder of the episode. So sure. I'm just going to pass it over to you. Yeah. I'd love for you just to give everybody that spiel on exactly what it is they can expect from the book. Yeah. Okay. So the book is called Good Awkward, How to Embrace the Embarrassing and Celebrate the Cringe to Become the Bravest You. I am so thrilled and honored that this book is making its way into the mainstream. You know, I, I've always wanted to write a book since the fifth grade. I'll just start by saying that maybe there was an achievement, you know, angle to that, but I've always wanted to do it, but I didn't want to write one until I felt like I had a message a, that was screaming to come out of me and B that felt like a fresh take on experiences and, and feelings that we all felt. And so, you know, in the professional and personal development space, as you know, well, and even in the you know, athletic space, there's a lot of conversation about courage, about confidence, about risk-taking. And I love those narratives. I find them motivational. But for me, I tend to surround myself by a lot of action takers, people who know that they need to do certain things. And so where I have always been very curious is not what should we be doing or what should we be feeling, but rather what stands in the way of that. And so there's a number of things. We talk a lot about fear. We talk a lot about imposter syndrome. But The thing that I felt growing up all the time wasn't really those things as acutely. I just felt awkward all the time, right? And my food smelled a little different. My hair was a little different. My clothes were different. 
And it wasn't until I got to college that I started to find other people who I felt like their bumpy edges were on display too, right? We weren't aiming for this flawlessness. We just were. And as I continued into my professional life, you know, many of us in the professional personal development spheres, we love Brene Brown. And I started listening to her podcast, like so many of us do. And I remember at the end, she would say, stay awkward, brave, and kind. Stay awkward, brave, and kind. And I'm like, okay, but well, my parents taught me how to be brave. And my parents taught me how to be kind. Stay awkward? Is she serious? I don't like that feeling. I've been <laughs> awkward for 20 years. I'm finally starting to come out of it. And you're telling me you want me to stay awkward? Excuse me, lady, right? So it created this whole curiosity behind what is this emotion? She's telling us to stay awkward. What if I don't want to? It's uncomfortable. I don't like it. And I started to research it. I started to look it up. And it led to this whole deep dive into this emotion that whether we realize it or not, when we don't explore it, is holding so many of us back from taking the risks we want to take, from finding the confidence we want to have, from accessing courage in the moment that we need it. We don't because we feel awkward. And so it led to this just wonderful uh, discovery process of awkwardness is not a bad thing. It's not a deficiency to fix. It's our greatest asset for professional growth. And that is the core message of the book. I mean, if you're not hearing yourself in that explanation, then I, I want to meet you if you're not hearing yourself because I, I'm hearing that you're not human if that's yeah. if that, if you're willing to say that. So, I mean, I, I love everything about this, the, the premise and the mission and the message of the book straight away because it is so relatable on so many levels. And the first thing you got me actually thinking about was firstly myself. And I was like, well, I was the kid that was never afraid to step into the spotlight. That was, that was who I was. And so you think about the word awkward and suddenly you go, okay, I was an awkward kid, but in many ways, I actually saw awkwardness and said, you know what, to heck with mm -hmm. it. I'm going to step into the spotlight anyway. But just like as I work, and I know you do with leaders today on, hey, every time you level up in leadership, welcome to new challenges, welcome to new adversities, things that you weren't expecting and you wouldn't necessarily experience unless you'd actually achieved the level you've now gotten to. And here I am doing what I do today and having gone rogue myself a couple of yeah. years ago to sit here and go, all of this confidence and all of this belief I had, and then suddenly, for the first time in my mid-30s, I stumbled into awkwardness for the first time. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm in a room with business professionals. Like, <laughs> yeah. in the world of sport, right. like business professionals? Right, right. What are these people? Who are they? They're not going to want to know about me. Yeah. And, and slowly, you suddenly realize that there is always, always a moment right around the corner mm -hmm. where awkwardness can truly become a factor within your world. And so I'm curious as you've now been obviously marketing and, and pushing the book out there for a number of weeks and months now, what has been some of that initial, I guess, response in terms of how people simply interpret a word yeah. like awkwardness? Because it is so subjective in so many ways. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely one of those words that immediately people, whether they identified themselves that way or they just experience it transiently as an emotion, right? There's not one human, and I rarely, I'm very careful not to speak in absolutes, but there is not yeah. one human I've met that is like, oh, I've dodged that my whole life. Awkwardness, don't know it, right? <laughs> never experienced mm -hmm. it, never felt it. It does not exist unless you lack a certain, you know, emotional capacity as a human, like you're a little bit of a sociopath. Right. Uh, other than that, <laughs> everybody experiences it. It is a human emotion. It is a social emotion. So again, the only way to avoid awkwardness is to be in complete isolation all the time, right? If you intend to be a participating member of a society in which social interaction ever plays a part, there is a chance for awkwardness. There is no avoiding it because to avoid it implies 
having a crystal ball and being able to forecast every single thing that happens. So to eliminate awkwardness, I often say is to eliminate uncertainty. You ain't going to do it. Good luck trying. You ain't going to do it. So rather than trying to eliminate it, which is a fool's errand, it's never going to happen. The key becomes embracing it instead. And I love what you said about being a kid, because the research that I dove into actually backs this up. Awkwardness is not something we experience actually as young kids. We don't. We actually don't have that level of awareness around that social spotlight. So it isn't until early adolescence, about eight or nine years old, that desire for social approval, that looking at the environment for, do I fit into these social norms? That doesn't kick in until eight or nine. So that's why you see your, you know, five-year-old niece and eight-year-old neighbor, they're just dancing in the kitchen, pantsless, right? Like they don't care because they haven't yet developed that mental social muscle about caring what other people think, about wondering whether they fit into these social norms. But then around that age, that changes. And all of a sudden, like you said, at every inflection point, especially when social belonging starts to play a factor, new team, new school, new job, all of a sudden, those kid feelings that we start to feel at 9, 10, 11 years old start to come back. And we're like, okay, I know how I feel, but what do other people see right now? You know, and, and are those two things congruent? If not, we feel awkward. Yeah. And uh, I mean, firstly, it's why I keep the blinds closed when I start dancing, <laughs> just, to go, just, yeah. to, just to add on, piggyback to that yeah. point. Uh, but secondly, you know, I, I, as a father now of a four-year-old and a three-year-old, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, all your research, which I've, I've certainly enjoyed looking through, mm-hmm. it's, it's so wonderful to see in front of you the power that you actually hold as a parent in terms yeah. of introducing awkwardness or embracing awkwardness you know and i think there's that yeah. there's that really interesting sort of line there it's like what you could either introduce it and just make it clear that there is such a thing as awkwardness or you could say not only is there this thing that is awkwardness but you should go ahead and jump right into yeah. it. You should just come see what it's like to swim around in the awkward. Yeah. You know, I, I hear so much of that in what you're saying. I wrote this book really, you know, it's kind of written for professionals, you know, either folks entering their professional career or in a professional career. But the truth is it absolutely has application to children. And I'll make this very real. My kids had their first day of school today, right? Summer officially ended yesterday. They had their first day of school. Yeah. My son, um, my daughter's 13 in eighth grade the most awkward years. Let me tell you what, my son is 11. He's going into sixth. Uh, Both of them actually, even though the eighth grader has been in middle school, they switched schools. There's like a new building that they built. But the, my son, the 11 year old in particular is quite nervous because fifth is where elementary ended. He's entering middle school for the first time. It's a new building, a lot larger building. So last night he was nervous and it was adorable. He came to me, he said, mom, awkwardness is your thing. Can you help me with my mindset? He literally said this and I just you know, oh giggled. God. It was adorable. So and we had a whole yeah. conversation about exactly this, about buddy, you know what? It's a new school for everyone. I know you feel a bit awkward, a bit nervous, but everyone's going to feel that way. No one knows their way around the building. Everyone's a little anxious because they haven't seen each other all summer, right? So a lot of the principles that we instill in our children or our neighbors or whoever it is that we hold in our lives, the younger people in our lives, we kind of forget this advice when we get to adulthood, our expectations start to become unrealistic. And so, you know, part of the work around embracing awkwardness is recalibrating our expectations. How should we feel right now? And it's often, we're we're much harder on ourselves as adults than we need to be. Yeah. And that, again, just looking at what it is you consistently do within the world that you're operating in, you specifically, Mm -hmm. I think, okay, 
you're working with people in these spaces of transformation, of change, truly lasting, not just not just in the right. moment, lasting change. And when you talk about recalibration of expectations, is is that where that process starts? Is you know, because that's that's kind of what I'm hearing right now. Yeah. It's like before you move into the world that you're trying to move into. Yeah. Let's let's get a little bit clear about what the heck it is we're trying to move towards. Yeah. So so the process of embracing awkwardness is is multi-pronged, right? So the first step to getting more comfortable with it. Again, our goal is not to eliminate it. It's a, it's a fool's errand. It's not going to happen. Our goal is to become more comfortable with it, to build up that awkward tolerance. Step one is understanding how that emotion plays a part in your life. So there's a few uh, exercises and sort of reflection things that I take people through, but just one example is. There's a phenomenon that I explore in the book called vicarious embarrassment, and it actually is a function of empathy. So if you are someone who, uh, one example is cringe comedy, if you can barely watch America's Funniest Home Videos without literally having a full body meltdown after watching someone else get embarrassed, someone who's not even in front of you, someone on a screen, right, who has fallen or embarrassed themselves, and you have a full body visceral reaction, it actually is a pretty good sign that you're high on a certain type of empathy. So the, the phrase is actually E-E-E. You're easily empathetically embarrassed. You become embarrassed, not with other people, but for other people. Again, this person on the TV can't even see you. You don't know this person. And yet your whole body is having a reaction. And so there's some interesting barometers we can start to run on ourselves about if we feel this embarrassed or awkward on other people's behalf, it tends to make us feel like people must be looking at us like that, right? We tend to be more prone to it ourselves. Um, other things that we can do is obviously examine our, our upbringing, our childhood. What is our relationship with approval, right? What are the messages re received implicitly, explicitly? So peeling back those layers. So step one is you know understanding. Step two then becomes conditioning ourselves, right? So this is the actual action part of which what you just mentioned, the setting of expectations, becomes a really important part of this. Often when we think about awkwardness, awkwardness exists when let's just say we do something, whether it's on purpose or not, we tripped over the sidewalk, not on purpose, mm -hmm. but we didn't expect that to happen, right? Our expectations are off. Now it can also happen when we do it on purpose. I raised my hand in the meeting. I gave the stellar idea and everybody's like, what? No, 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 no. Mm. Right. I, I raised my hand on purpose, but that response again, did not meet my expectations. And so it is in part starting to condition our social muscles around mismanaged expectations, or at least having the strength to recover from them when inevitably something doesn't happen according to our expectations. We can't control every expectation. We can work on recalibrating them, but we can also work on that bounce back factor, which is really what embracing awkwardness is about. Yeah. And as the former swim coach mm -hmm. olympic coach in me is just listening to this it's control the controllables yes, yeah you know lifelong advice yeah. but also focus on you stay in your lane yes you know yeah. you're, you're talking so much about environment 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 and yeah. again as you say as we become older as we go through childhood we become more and more aware of the room that we walk into example of your daughter now in eighth grade it's just like the, every single girl walking into that school today is walking yeah. in with a little bit of hesitation, a yep. little bit of anxiety. You know, it's all there. Yeah. I'm sure teachers have to watch it, et cetera. And you just go, oh, good Lord. Yeah. Like we, <laughs> we are now so aware of our surroundings and that stuff just carries on 
every level as you go. But one thing you do so well in your work is you find ways to get people to kind of say, okay, stop looking at all of this around me and start looking in the mirror a little bit more. Consistently looking in the mirror and getting more comfortable with myself Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, should that not be the approval that we're looking for more than anything? Of course. Yeah. And that's one of those things, you know, in our world, people say that and it's like, ah, easier said than done, right? Like I would love to look in the mirror and love what I see. And and here's the truth of the matter. And I don't want to sugarcoat this. Sometimes, despite our best efforts, despite our best self-talk, we're going to look at ourselves. We're going to replay an interaction in our head. And all we see is the bumps, right? All we see is how that thing went sideways. And in those moments, you know, first of all, what what you just alluded to is reframing those stories, right? We can tell a, a more redemptive story, a more positive story about the learning, but also one of the big learnings from the book. And I think one that people really enjoy learning about is the universality of awkwardness, right? Because when we feel awkward, the one thing that is alarmingly true is in those moments, we feel like it's just us, right? The flush of embarrassment on our face. Oh my God, I can't believe I did that. No person like me should do something like that, right? Like this is something that should would never happen to that confident person over there. When the data is like, absolutely not, the most confident people feel awkward just as acutely. They feel embarrassed just as acutely as the rest of us. They have not worked how to eliminate it or worked out how to get rid of it. They've just learned how to recover faster, right? So it's actually, and the ironic truth is recovering faster actually involves leaning into it and not trying to run away from it because the counterintuitive paradox of awkwardness is the avoiding, the avoidance of awkwardness increases awkwardness. Right. And we've all been there where somebody like said something at the table and we're like, oh, okay. And we're just waiting for someone to break it. <laughs> right. It's just getting worse. Somebody just say something. Yeah. I've had that uncle. I've had right. that uncle for like 35 years. It's the same guy. Right. We're like, whoop. And all of a sudden the air feels thick and nobody's saying anything. Yeah. Right. And so the people we perceive as confident are the ones that would say, all right, Uncle Eddie, thanks for making it awkward today. Right. And then they move on. Mm-hmm. Right. But that's the person who is actually, ironically, the person who names awkward, the person who leans in is seen as the confident one. And this is where it's paradoxical, but that's where confidence comes from, is the leaning into it, not the trying to avoid. Yeah. And it's it's like everything. Yeah. I, I, but we don't discuss, we don't discuss awkwardness yeah. enough for it to sort of fall into that bracket of things that, you know, for instance, someone who's trying to lose weight, right. you know, you you know what to do and you know what to and what not to do. More often than not, for whatever reason, you don't discuss the things or lean into the things mm-hmm. that you're supposed to be doing consistently to see the results. So therefore, you're not building whatever it is you need to build towards that. And, and the the awkwardness, again, I go back to that's very much been my blueprint throughout my life is that, hey, go find out and embarrass yourself if you need to <laughs> right. in order to just kind of get a gauge of where the heck you're at. Right. And I, always, I almost call it my sort of... Uh, you know, being found out radar. Mm-hmm. It's just like, hey, are you going to be found out right now or not? Yeah. Just, just step into it. And hey, you know what? If you are found out, just trust your ability to to get out of it as well. You know, while while you may experience significant embarrassment, awkwardness, whatever you want to call it in that moment, just lean into it and then be able to trust your instincts to get out of it if it is something that you feel as though you can get out of. Right. I, I'm just, again, as I as I listen to you and I think, okay, people listening to this, they're motivated individuals, they're looking to get ahead in their careers, they're looking to get ahead in 
their business, whatever it may be, how can they maybe start to improve that radar mm -hmm. of the awkward moments? Because maybe they're not even knowing they're in moments where they could be leaning into this more. Yeah. So I'm going to answer the question with a slight 90 degree turn. I don't think there yeah. is a it's not easy, I should say, to have the radar improve because, again, to have that radar improve involves, you know, ex expectation management in a way that's pretty impossible. Humans aren't always going to be able to predict how another human will react or how a, you know, a crack in the sidewalk is going to show up. So we can only do that to a degree. What is more important, and I think the work that we can do, controlling the controllables, is strengthening social muscle. So let me back up a little bit. We now live in a world that is dangerously optimized for smoothness when it comes to social interaction, right? So think about the way, right. you know, as of this taping, people are still swiping to figure out if they want to go on a date, right? They're um, yeah. texting here instead of ringing the doorbell, right? They don't have to right. call somebody and say, can I talk to so-and-so like they did when we were growing up, right? Ring All these yeah. things are now optimized for smoothness when it comes to social interaction. I remember the other day, this is a real story. My daughter wanted tacos. The rest of us didn't want anything. I said, all right, we'll go ahead and order online. The online, the toasttab.com or whatever wasn't working. So I said, can you call an order? And she's like, what do you mean, mom? What do you mean call? Call? And I'm like, yeah, call, <laughs> right? But this is a world that has been optimized to avoid social interaction. And so what we can do is, again, I don't think improving our radar is, is gonna really be realistic in many cases, but what we can do is put ourselves in situations that keep our social muscle strengthened, right? How can we purposely create situations where a social muscle is strengthened? So, you know, from time to time, I will tell my kids, listen, I, you know, I make them order their own food at a restaurant. I want you to look the server in the eye. If there's, you know, something wrong with your Starbucks frappuccino, I want you to go up there yourself and ask them, right? At work, I often tell leaders, hey, create opportunities for these social missteps or social blunders. For example, at the beginning of a meeting, have a bad idea brainstorm, right? Or share cracked egg stories. Everybody shares a misstep that they recovered from in the last couple of weeks, right? But we have to normalize these low stakes social muscle building activities because the society we now live in is trying like hell to eliminate all of those friction moments. And so we have to work a little harder to keep them. Otherwise they die on the vine. I mean, it's what it's what we both do for a career as coaches yeah. is we, we ask people, listen, hey, this isn't a place where you come for avoidance. This right. is a place where you come to step into it. And, mm -hmm. and you know, that social social strengthening muscle or strengthening the social muscle, yeah. sorry, like that, that is such an, uh, a vital part of this entire process. And again, I'm glad that you took that question and went 90 degrees with it because it's it's such an important message to get across to anyone listening to this who is in that phase right now where it's like, okay, I know there's a gap between where I'm at and where I'm trying to get to. Mm -hmm. How much am I actually stepping into that gap and saying, there's things that I'm currently avoiding that I need to stop avoiding. Yeah. Again, I'll go back to my example of in the last two years of my business, going to you know, a, uh, a chamber of commerce meeting and, and knowing that someone's going to say, hey, what's career career competitor? Right. Career competitor right now is Steve Mallet, Steve Mallet, and Steve Mallet. That's, right, right. that's who it is. It's, it's me. Just me and, <laughs> right. it's me and my, my wife's cat. That's, that's about it, <laughs> yeah. you know? And, and, and so for me, it's like, yeah. I can make it seem as though it's bigger than it sure. is, or I can just lean into it and give people the story and say, this is who I am and this is what I do. I'm laughing because the you first, know, you know, year of my company is called Priority Group. And they're like, oh, who's in the group? <laughs> There's no group. I just, uh, you know, I want to give myself something to grow into, but the group is like 
10 fingers, 10 toes, right? Like I, that's, that's the group. There's no group. And, I, and I'm so glad you, you put it like that because for me, this is really, I sense at least what you're trying to actually encourage people here is like, it, it's not about necessarily how you're currently feeling and where you currently are. It's about painting that vision and that yeah. picture of like, okay, this is who I have the potential to show up as, mm-hmm. or this is the version of myself I get to show up as if I do the work to get to that place. And I can yeah. see you nodding, so I'm just going to let you take No, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> and I think, you know, what What often, I, what I would like to bring up, and this always makes me smile, is often when people hear the word awkward, there's an immediate visceral reaction from those who identify as I am socially awkward, right? There's a group of people that will be like, yes, I am socially awkward. That person is socially awkward. And often those folks, not always, but often those folks will identify as introverts as well. And so for a while, people would ask me, you know, is this about introverts? And I say, God, no, I am the opposite of an introvert. First of all, introverts and extroverts and ambiverts, all of us experience this emotion, but I am a true-blooded extrovert. There is no part of me that is an introvert, but The example I always point to is when we think about social muscles weakening or atrophying, even extroverts, we felt that acutely right when the pandemic started to lift, right? So for a while there, we all went into social isolation. We all were only communicating on screens. And just, I want you to, whoever's listening to this right now, I want you to think back to that very first sort of sizable social interaction you had when things started to lift and how you were like, "Um, what's up? Are we are we touching? Are we, you know, six feet? Are we like air kisses? Right. Like what, what's the deal here? Right. <laughs> Nothing could have felt more awkward. And I've now the data has shown that people couldn't read cues that well. They couldn't tell what is this person thinking? What are they saying? What are they doing with their hands? And the reason is because we got out of practice. It wasn't because we forgot. It's because we got out of practice. So the data supports that when we don't keep these social muscles strengthened, again, we all felt it coming off of the pandemic that they atrophy. And even extroverts were like, yeah, yeah, I I forgot how to do this, right? I forgot how to human. I forgot how to people. This is the danger. A little bit of that feeling that we experience, this becomes the long-term danger. If we lean too much in all these things that have optimized for smoothness, we'll lose it. And the more AI, the more technology takes over some of these other skills, the things that will have premium value are our presentation skills, our vulnerability, and our social skills which is awkwardness is a key part of. Mm-hmm. And everything you're saying, it's, it's getting harder and harder to prioritize what's good for us, right? right. It, you know, there's, there's, you know, I've, I've seen you speak about this publicly, this, this notion of prioritizing what serves us mm-hmm. and to, to sort of sit here and go, okay, while this is my day in terms of maybe trying to make it as efficient, as effective as possible in the sense of locking myself to my desk and focusing on my computer and being on my phone. If, if maybe that that is a way of getting ahead, we're talking about here beyond that. We're talking about what's going to serve you in the long haul, right. what's going to give you that best opportunity to simply win. And again, I'm bringing us right back to the theme of this show, competitiveness. Yeah. So when you, when you start to look at everything that you're providing here through this book, but just this whole theme of, of awkwardness, and we've not even dove into really the cringe part either, and I'd love for you to maybe take sure. us out a little bit. Just what, what about some of these components are actually serving our absolute potential because I know that's what the book's about. Yeah. Ultimately, I think that the relationship, if I'm just going to simplify it, is if growth is the goal, right? And it's not the goal for everyone. Let's be honest. Not everyone is a career competitor. Some people are happy just, you know, I've, I've reached this point. 
I'd like to sail by here. My priorities are elsewhere. And if that is the case, you know, good for you. No one's telling you to be differently. But if being a competitor is, is language that you identify with, that's going to involve constant evolutions of growth, constantly chasing better, different, higher potential, right? And as we said at the top, every time you hit an inflection point, every time you put yourself into a bigger, better room, every time you put yourself in front of new people who you perceive to have higher expertise or knowledge than you, every time you're trying to put out some new content or try something on for size, anytime you take a professional risk of any sort, the absolute correlation is you are going to invite awkwardness into that situation because of the inherent uncertainty that comes with risk. There is a much stronger chance that every time you take those chances, somebody's going to react differently than you expected. Uh, situation's going to go down differently than you expected. And it may, for a moment, make you look foolish, make you look silly, make you cringe. But the truth is, if we can know that and prepare for it in the spirit of those risks, we won't let it stop us from taking those risks. And that's the danger when people start to feel such a fear of the cringe or of the awkwardness of the embarrassment that it could create, that it freezes them at the top of the gap, right? They won't do it. They won't take the leap. It creates this inaction. And so if we want to keep moving in the direction of competitiveness, of being our best selves, we have to prepare mentally for that awkwardness to come, look forward to it, lean into it, knowing it's part of the journey and befriend it because again, it's not skippable. So we just have to start to create that relationship between the two. Yeah. And again, relationships, easily the best word for it. Yeah. And this notion of befriending it too is... I, again, there's there's a lot of people listening right now who I'm sure just like I I can't I can't mentally get there I can't mentally get there. How what do you mean to befriend to befriend? But yeah. again, the, there's there's this understanding that as long as you are serving your potential, then that competitor is going to appreciate the growth. And for you to understand that this when it comes to awkwardness, when it comes to all of these things that you're you're presenting here today, that you may be, simply be a novice you just may simply be an amateur this this may be the part of your armor that you for whatever reason haven't attended to yet and as coaches and i know you i'm sure you agree with yeah. this that's the exciting part that's 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 where the growth and the opportunity lays right now which is just so incredibly exciting so if you are hearing this and thinking ish this sounds like a big step yeah great yeah that, that's really and, really and exciting i'll add to that you know it doesn't have to be right i'm not suggesting that you sure. go into a meeting of you know 50 of your peers and raise your hand and go let's just try this on right if you're not there yet right. there are ways to bite size and right size i actually talk about in the book when it comes to risk taking if it's you know if there's a feeling of inaction or paralysis that's happening in those potential cringe moments make downward adjustments, right? If you want to try something out, some idea on for size and doing it in the bigger meeting doesn't feel quite right, challenge yourself to bring it to a trusted colleague, bring it to a friend, bring it to a small group of two peers. But the goal, like every other muscle, and I know on your podcast, you talk about you know the way we strengthen mental muscle, physical muscle, we have to strengthen social muscle. Social muscle is a muscle. That is not a muscle you can just work on your mindset by yourself in your chair at your desk. Some must, some mental muscles you can absolutely do by yourself. Journaling, you know, affirmations. Those are solo mental muscle exercises. Awkwardness, awkward tolerance, awkward, you know, advantage building is a social muscle, which means by virtue of that, you cannot do it by yourself. So you have to practice 
in smaller stakes moments. You don't have to throw yourself into the fire right away. Find a smaller stakes opportunity to practice getting the words out, to practice seeing how this feels so that the next time you do have to do it, it feels a little bit more natural. Yep. And uh, it's so funny going back all the way to that example of of your, of your kids. Mm-hmm. No, no wonder kids always feel that little bit of awkwardness on the first day because what's just come, it, there's been this whole summer of being around mom and dad probably yeah. or being around just one or two friends and now you're around the entire school again and it's every, you're just reinforcing everything that you're talking about here. So I absolutely love it. Now, as we close, firstly, I'm, I'm obviously going to let you just share all the information <laughs> that you need to about where people can grab a copy of the book, but you play to win. Right? Is that fair to say? Yeah. You play to win. I know I do, mm-hmm. and and I love having people on the show when we are very much both in this in this mindset. Talk to me about a win for Henna when you go about your day, when you go about having the best day possible for Priority Group, mm-hmm. for you as a speaker, whatever it may be. How are you actually converting that result at the end of the day, either in the win column? Or in the loose column? Oh, man. Um, this is a great question because I've done so much self-work on redefining <laughs> redefining the wins, right? My my wins right. for the past 20 years, and this is just, I'm just going to be very you know honest and vulnerable here. They have been very metric-driven wins, right? Was she number one in her staffing career? What were her numbers? You know, what kind of W-2 came in? You know, achievement turned from grades to status to income, to pedigree of company, you know, like that was the stuff I used to measure it by. Now, and this is after some deep self-work over the last decade, now I would say a day that is winning is a day where I've, you know, still done a good job. If I can look at myself in the mirror and say, you've done a good job, but I've done it in what feels like a level of ease and flow. There was too long where I collapsed into bed at the end of the night. And now if I can say, hey, today was a good day, you know, did what I needed to do, serve some people. And I also feel like I have a little gas left in the tank at the end of the day. <laughs> that day is a 10 out of 10 win. And my entire goal is to chase more of those days. It's like a, it's like you're describing a subjective process almost. <laughs> it's just like, hey, this is, I'm going about my day yeah. the way I'm going about it. There's going to be things I can measure along the way. But to be able to actually get to 7, 8 p.m. at night and not be crawling and yeah. not be completely gassed although knowing where you're at in parenthood and with what mm. you've got on your plate i'm sure there's a few days where you're a little bit gassed. i do not get it right uh, every day that is for <laughs> darn sure but i'm working on it uh, you're working yeah. on it but hey you know what i think it's uh i love asking that question from time to time because it's it's just really encouraging i i hope to people hearing it and saying like listen it, it actually isn't just about what the metrics say there's there's an ability for you to look in the mirror internalize it a little bit and actually yeah. Use your own system, so to yeah. speak. And ultimately, like you know, I'll be honest, it's because I want to play a long game, right? I can I can make it sound like it's go. all about self-care and da-da-da. Yeah, yes. And I want to win long term. I don't want to win this month. I don't want to win this year. I want to win for the next two decades. And I think I finally, in my 40s, finally am realizing endurance cannot sustain if you play this hustle and sprint every day. And I I tried. Right. Many times I have tried, and I think I'm finally learning the truth of rest, recovery, slowing down is actually how I win the long game. And that's the game that today I'm choosing to play. Well, is you know, as I start to lean into dad jokes and just awkward transitions, I'm going to go with it right here um, and just say there's something that's going to be playing in the long game is your book. It's going to be Thank around you. for some time. And so with that being said, uh, tell everybody where they can grab a copy of it. And I'm, I'm doing you... 
I'm, this is we're talking a little before the book comes yes. out, but this will be coming out right as the book is coming out, which I'm so excited for you about. But where can everybody uh, get Thank it you. No, September 26th is pub date. So in a few days, I think after this episode airs, uh, goodawkward.com has a lot of details on the book, but it is everywhere where books, books are sold. I feel like that is an awkward cliche thing to say, but it's Amazon, Target, Bookshop, if you prefer to go indie. Um, you know, it's it's everywhere. And Amazon, if you choose to go there, my only ask is for first time authors, reviews are everything. So if you like what you read, please, uh, please, please, please leave a review. But I'm I'm proud of it. It is not another book about get comfortable being uncomfortable. It is a fresh angle to an emotion we all experience. So I hope you learn something. And I hope you laugh because I told my publisher, listen, if this thing is not written in my voice, I don't want to do it. So it's not only a eye-opening, but it's also, I hope, a fun read. So if you pick it up, you know, please let me know. I'd love to hear what you think. Well, I can I can tell you it's it's uh it's definitely worth it to be able to keep your voice in the book. I've yeah. my book is almost a year old now and people still read it with a British accent, apparently. So <laughs> that's it. what they keep telling me. But um but listen, hey, there's there's no doubt that this book is a unique book. It's gonna therefore stand out and to go one step further, Hannah, there's no doubt you're a unique individual oh, too. I really you. appreciate the time. I know how busy you are. Mm-hmm. So just the generosity of insight, of time, of all the things, I uh, just truly appreciate it. And uh, just best of luck with the book and everything moving forwards. Okay. Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun, Steve. I'm so glad we got to do it. There you go. Good stuff. Good stuff. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Career Competitor. And before you leave, be sure to take advantage of your free one-time discovery call with me to see how I can be of service to you as a coach or potentially even your team. Depending on what it is you're looking for at this point within your career, I want to be able to serve you with 30 minutes of my time to see how I can be of use to you and help you on your path of continued growth towards your optimal self in order to find optimal performance. Be sure to reach out to me, steve at careercompetitor.com or just head to the website, careercompetitor.com. I look forward to connecting with you soon and bye for now.